Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. On this edition, we check in with Jeff Nordgaard of the Scani Legends. The Scani Legends have played in TBT two times, in 2014 and in 2015. You're going to enjoy this conversation because Jeff's a really interesting guy and has got a lot to say about basketball all around the world and TBT. Remember that you can subscribe to TBT's podcast on iTunes, and if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating. It'll help spread the word. Thanks. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Hi, Dan. Good, thanks. Thanks for the call. Hey, so where are we talking to you from today? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm at my house in, uh, in West Pier, Pier, Wisconsin. And so you're pretty close to Green Bay still, or no? Yeah, I mean, it's a suburb of Green Bay. It's connected to Green Bay, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been up here since I, since I stopped playing ball. Um, I've been up here, so about six years now. Now, have you been, had you been living there sort of in the off-season while you were playing ball overseas? Um, for my first few years, I was living in Green Bay. And then, um, then Alexis, my wife and I, we moved down to Milwaukee, um, for, for about seven years of the off seasons. And then when I finished up in whenever that was now, six years ago, um, I got a job and it took me back up to Northeast Wisconsin. Are you happy to be back where you went to college? Yeah, it's a nice place. I really enjoyed Milwaukee as well, but, uh, this is a, this is a great place to raise a family and I have so many friends and and acquaintances up here that uh, makes it easy easy place to be. I was going to say it must be nice to sort of you know have had a little bit of not a little bit actually a lot of name recognition while you were at uh, Green Bay, and then to come back now as a you know as a grown man with kids and, and a family and stuff to have that sort of uh, built in network up there. Yeah, it's nice. Um, it, it opens up some doors that might not be open to me if I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, or Phoenix, Arizona, or something like that. Um, certainly. And it also uh, makes people feel old when they run into me and, and remember that I played, and then I remind them it's 20 or 21 years ago, and, uh, <laughs> and they're like, oh, my gosh, that, that time, long ago. That time really does yeah. fly by. And, you know, obviously yeah. with, the, with the success that, you know, UWGB had while you were there, it must be very fresh in people's memories every time they see you, huh? Well, it is, um, part, and part of the reason is because Green Bay hasn't gotten back to the NCAA tournament since I finished up, and that was – that was a time when we had a lot of success and we were going, well, we went three years in a row when I was playing and then Tony Bennett went one year before I, before I got here. Um, so there were some expectations uh, set um, for, for the basketball program in this area. Uh, and they, there's been a, a modicum of success since then, whether they've, they've finished, finished in the top two or three, some years, um, even, even winning the regular season uh, once or twice, but uh, no, no return to the NCAA tournament, which is really, where schools of this size, mid-majors, are measured and how, how teams are remembered. How close to, are you with the program still? Um, I was very close um, up until this year. Uh, this year, they, there was a new coaching change. Um, and, and previously, before that, I was, I was selling to them, selling them their uniforms and whatnot. I work for a company called Lids Team Sports, and we sell Nike, um, Nike uniforms and apparel. And that's... Um, you know, so I was I was the rep for that for for GB, and I was also on the Phoenix Fund board, which is uh, essentially a fundraising fundraising group for the for the athletic department. Um, and then and then this year with the coaching change and and Green Bay went with Adidas. Um, I am I'm no longer very close, but uh, well well I'm certainly certainly uh, uh, get back involved uh, before too long. 
Now, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit, Jeff, if I could, about your involvement with TBT. I mean, in 2014, you guys kind of came out of nowhere with one of the leading vote-getters in the whole process. And um, it was really fun to watch sort of a, guy, a bunch of guys that really knew how to play the game together to come down and compete. And I was curious what your understanding was of the event and what your expectations were heading into that 2014 tournament in Philadelphia. Well, uh, our, we played in a lot of tournaments all over upper Midwest um, as a group over the last, you know, depending, I mean, I didn't play as in, in as many um, when I was playing ball overseas. Um, but after that, I was, I was playing a bunch certainly. And then, and then the guys had been playing together or we've added new guys into the mix and we've been, we've been comfortable with each other for a long time. Um, so when this came about, um, we, we were like, Hey, let's give it a shot. We've we've been playing in uh, free tournaments and tournaments that make you six eight thousand dollars. Why why don't why don't we go after it and uh, and go for the million dollars? Now what or back then I guess it was a half a million. Um, uh, our expectations were we didn't know who would be there. You know it could be it could be just some bomb squads that that just take it to us. Certainly um, it could be teams like us. It could be teams you know uh, that that are that we play against in these in these other. Uh, smaller tournaments, but uh, we didn't necessarily know what to expect. We didn't go in, uh, you know, with with our with our budget planned for 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 uh, summer spending based on winning winning that tournament. That's for sure. Um, but but we we knew we were a good team that had a lot of success um, playing together, and and that we are also very successful going against teams that don't know about us because we look like we suck and we're pretty decent. Just for those that haven't seen you all play, Jeff, why do you think that 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 would be that you look like you suck. Well, because we're old and have gray hair and gray beards and and uh, we don't have muscles popping out everywhere and and uh, and we're not flying around dunking and and you know it's just just a little different style game than what you see nowadays. Well, nevertheless, you did win the first game, uh, put a real scare I remember into that Temple alumni team. I think in the second game as well um, in 2014. What do you think you guys are doing? What what separates the sort of the way that you play? versus maybe what's normally seen in sort of summer basketball pro-ams and things of that sort? Well, I, I think that we, as, as I like to talk about when I'm talking with, with our team, when we're, when we're struggling at times, I say, don't dribble to score, pass to score. And I think that a lot of teams now um, dribble to score, meaning penetrate off of, off of you know, one-on-one moves and that kind of thing. And I, and I, uh, I think the reason why we're successful is that we pass the score. And, and what, is it, what that means is we are setting a lot of off-ball screens, staggers, flares, um, you know, back cut pops, just, just different things um, that open up shooters. And then also it, it allows for cutters as well, especially when a guy gets, a guy gets hot, um, you guys uh, key on him, and then, then you cut off of that and you got, you got layups going in. Um, we're not doing a whole lot of ball screen ball screen action we don't want to bring two two quick guys to the ball um coach coach bennett um years ago he was my coach in, in college and we didn't ever ball screen in in the four years that he was he was the coach for me he it was his philosophy not to bring two two defenders to the ball now i've played a lot of basketball since then and i recognize that the, um that ball screens are very useful and helpful um but i think to a degree some somewhat of today's game is is too much one-on-one and, and ball screen oriented. And we uh, try to 
try to work the ball around and and get get our shooters open um, and and work work for our strengths. We're not going to blow by you out to dribble, so we got to get we got to find other ways to to win. So when you're doing that, is that stuff that you're planning out ahead of time? These are the these are the um, the screens right. we're going to run. Yeah. These are the sets we're going to run. And did you do you practice all that stuff ahead of you know a TPT event? It's funny. It's funny you ask that because uh, about two weeks ago, um, Sam Grawl sent out a sent out a link for us to look at, and it was um, it was Everline Drive's press conference, and in there they were talking about I don't know Ty Laser and Von Wafer or whomever else. Like, man, and those guys practice. They know their plays. They know how to do it. And we have never ever practiced once in our life, and we never ever call a single play, um, possibly a, an out of bounds play last second. Everything that we do is based on knowing the game of basketball and reading the defense and setting our setting our players up to succeed with with uh, like I mentioned before flare screens, stagger screens, uh, uh, double single doubles, you know whatever whatever it might be. Um, so it it cracks us up that that uh, that people assume that we practice together. Now we've played plenty of tournaments together, so we're familiar with one another and know know our tendencies and know what we like. Um, but we we have never practiced, and we have never we never we don't have any plays that we call ever. So, so when you're looking to incorporate a new guy into your squad, you know, I think in 2014 it was Paul Grant. I don't think he had played. I think he had played maybe with you before, but maybe not with the rest of the guys. Right. Is that something right. you're asking about? Are you watching people before you maybe invite them to play with well, the Scotty Legends, or how does someone, that come about? Right. Someone like Paul, he played for Dick Bennett at at Wisconsin, um, so he knows the block and mover offense. Um, which I'm not trying to say that we are the block and mover offense. Um, we're a little different than that, but but really it's it's based around you know like I, like I mentioned before, screening, moving, getting getting your shooters shots, and and uh, getting the guys in the right positions um, to score. Um, Paul Paul is a skilled big, and and we knew what he could do. I played with him professionally, and he fits in well. Fits in well with us. Um, sometimes we get, get some other guys that, that are not as, well, let's take Harry Boyce, for example, Harry, Harry, I, he and I have played together for a while now. Um, when he first started playing, um, we were, it didn't fit well. It didn't fit well. He had a different style game than, than the rest of us. Um, but as he, as he, as he said to us, man, you guys made me change my game <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but, um, and I think I think he likes it now. You know, he's playing with playing with Kaizen, and where we have good success. Um, but we also saw the the positives that he could, he brought um, once he fit into the fit into our style with his his length and size at the point guard. Um, it allows uh, allowed us. Um, we really liked when we were when we were really successful, and, and we we were better when when we were a little bit younger. I, I'm I'm old and I'm well past my prime. But what we really liked was to be able to have. Um, Four or five guys that are six four, six five to six seven, six nine, and that can that can move. Everybody can shoot. Everybody can pass. Everybody can dribble. That kind of thing. Um, and so having someone like Harry be a point guard um, is really really helpful to us because he can he, he we're, we're, we don't have a little guy out there if there happens to be some kind of switch or, or or whatever else. Do you think that sort of versatility leads to? I guess people being in different positions. One thing that stood out to me watching, um, I can't remember which game it was, but one of the games was uh, that Khan, who's only 6'4", I think he had close to 9 or 10 rebounds in this game. I mean, is he normally in a maybe a different position because you guys are moving and screening so much? Well, he 
Yeah, he can. He, he gets to a lot of different spots. It's, we don't have specific um, specific positions. Uh, we like to try to take advantage of, of mismatches, which isn't to say that we had mismatches in the TBT. Um, but in general, you know, in the past, it would be I if it was say it was Con Metz and and me in there together. Um, we'd figure out all right who's who's going to have the big guy on them. All right, uh, I look like they're going to have that on you, Jeff. So you go outside and. Top threes are going to have the, the two guard on Khan. All right, he's going to post up. You know, you can see, you can see Khan is very effective in the post. He's a very active rebounder. Metzger is a is a very active rebounder as well. Um, and and so it's not really about positioning and 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 size as much. Um, but you know, if you're active, if you're active going at it. But we, the, but you mentioned Dan the versatility of of the guys, and 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 like I said, I'm not as versatile as I used to be, but I used to be a good inside out player, and and could could match up with most people even defensively. But that's not the case anymore. And uh, but we still have a, a similar style of play that we we try to try to move forward to. Jeff, how did you all become aware of TBT back in 2014? Was there an email or something that went around, or how did that? Do you recall um, that process? Yeah. I think it was from uh, Grantland. I think it was on Grantland. Um, Bill Simmons and that crew um, had something on their website that that um, uh, a buddy of ours, John Pavletsky, and then Sam Grawl, um had noticed, and they had just they had just gotten done watching us um, dominate a couple tournaments in, in in Wisconsin here, and and they said they emailed off to us, off to me, and then I put forward to Khan and. And like, yeah, let's make this happen. This will be fun. It's perfect for us. And then you guys had a really great, like as I said at the beginning, a really great voter turnout, particularly in, in 14 again in 15. It seems like you have mm-hmm. a huge network of maybe friends and family up there in Wisconsin that are really on board with everything you guys are up to. Yeah, I, I think that's 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 fair to say. I mean, we have we have a, a group in the area that, that uh, we're, we're, we have, um, we're, we're decently well-known. We, we know that uh, there's people around here that, that uh, uh, are interested in our in our basketball, and then well, Khan's got Khan's got five brothers and sisters. I've got three sisters. You know, we've got a lot of family involved, and uh, and then just like you said, a network which includes um, the the leagues that Khan runs. Uh, Khan and Sherry run a league three times a year, and you know, there's you know 150 plus basketball players that are involved in that, and. And they, a lot of them get on and vote, and so that that was that was part of it, and just the how how new and and unknown it was, the people wanted to get us on board, and 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 on top of that, the way you guys promote it and and market it was is so is so well done that it it makes it exciting for those that are involved with the, with the prize. I don't know if they did it second year, but the first year there's prizes for for some of the some of the people who voted, and I remember I had a buddy. Um, who, who emailed me uh, or texted me a picture? He goes, boom! Like he he won the he won a t-shirt, a TBT t-shirt or something. So he was all excited. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and well, think, a com- combination of that stuff. And I think I remember hearing you on the radio too in the last I think day or two to try to push some extra votes out too. Yeah, we did a little bit of radio promotion um, in that first year just to try to get us get us over the top. We really wanted to be able to choose our first opponent, um, and and that. Uh, make it a make it a successful event we didn't want to go in and and lose our first game and and uh, all all that excitement for nothing well the excitement from 14 definitely carried over to 15 because i think as um anyone that saw you play in 14 would have seen you all came ready to play and i think that first game against uh this team monarchs that you played you won 114 to 76 
Um, mm-hmm. What did you see, you know, differences between 2014 and 2015 as you came from, you know, one year of TBT to the next? Um, well, a couple things. Um, I think the second year there were a lot more very good teams. Um, obviously, when you have, you know, what, four groups of 32, you're going to have a lot more good teams, certainly. Um, that first, the first year, there was, there was more, um, there was more, all right, who, who can get votes, who can get votes. This year, there was more, who's got great players, um, is it going to be a good team, you know, that kind of thing. Um, just also, the, st- even stepped up more with the, with the marketing and promotion on your guys' end, uh, you know, involved, getting ESPN involved, um, Grantland involved and, and, and some celebrities, you know, with your Rappaport and, and some of that crew. Um, so it was, there was a, a, you know, a high level of excitement for it. Um, going in the second year, we didn't have an expectation of bringing home a million dollars, but because of how well it was run and, and, uh, how much we enjoyed the first, the first run at it. Um, we're like, let's, let's see how far we can go. And, you know, and we wanted that, we wanted to get a shot at Notre Dame. Well, you came very close because I think we'll we'll get back to that Everline Drive game in a second, but came very close against Midwest Dream Squad, only losing by, I think, eight points, 82-74. What happened in that game do you think maybe didn't occur in the previous ones that you had won? Yep. Yeah, definitely. um, Whether it was them taking us out of our game or us just not being as poised, um, we turned the ball over, which is something that we don't typically do. Um, We turned the ball over more than more than we should and that got us out on got us to a bad start um and then certainly West Con not not being hot or even average that game um that hurts us he's he's our leading scorer most of the time um and we needed other guys to step up a little bit more than than we did uh and and it didn't happen uh, it was one of those things where in my opinion we put the game before we played Everline Drive and I think they were probably better than us and we we beat them. We all played them and beat them. And against Midwest Dream Team, I I think that we play them ten times. We win six or seven, um, but we didn't win that one certainly. And that's just how it is. You know, they were a good team. Um, I'd I'd love to play them again. Um, and but they they took it to us. They they beat us. They we had a we had a run at it, and then uh, then we just couldn't couldn't get it couldn't get over the hump. In, in talking to some of the guys after that loss, it was apparent that there was really a sense of. A missed opportunity, uh, I think, in that game, and that's kind of it sounds like is still going through your head now. Is that that was a game you could have won, and then ended up playing Notre Dame on national TV? Yeah, it, I mean that that's exact that's exactly the case. Um, it, where we were very upset after the game because um, I, I don't think many of the guys thought, oh, we lost our chance at a million, but we lost to a team that we thought we were better than. Um, and you know they, I mean, Midwest Green Squad doesn't probably think that they, you know, they they. Uh, they probably think they're better than us, and they should because they beat us. <laughs> but, uh, but that's just how we felt after the game because we know how we can play, and and you saw how we played in the in the two previous two games, and we didn't play that at that level in that game, and that that's what that's what we felt upset about, disappointed. Um, but that's that's how basketball is. You know, Milwaukee Bucks beat the Warriors a week ago, and and the Warriors are a lot better than them. And so, well, whatever, you know, right. that's 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 the game. That's the game. You know, you kind of touched on it, and I was hoping you could expand a little bit. But what's the attraction to you guys of playing in TBT? You know, if the realistic goal maybe is not to win the million bucks, I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But you know, what is the attraction if you're if you're not kind of necessarily solely laser focused on that that million dollar right. prize? Right. I mean, 
it, our goal is to be to each team in front of us. I mean, I'm not trying to talk cliche or anything like that. That's pretty boring. But um, every game that we go into, we think we're going to we, – we have a chance to win. It's not like um, – so at the, each, each next level, we would expect to win that game. Um, but knowing all of the, all the great teams, great players that are in it, our expectation for most of us wasn't that, all right, we're coming home with a million bucks after the end of the summer. Um, although Stephen Baker had, had already said he had it budgeted in, um, he had it budgeted in. He was he was really upset. He, he didn't know what he was going to do. <laughs> but but um, but still, the motivation the motivation is playing a high level of basketball with guys you like playing with um, at a at a very um, very organized and and unique um, setting. I mean, it was it's exciting to play in something that's so professionally done. Um, you know, we play a lot of a lot of tournaments around, and and they're you know nowhere nowhere near that level of of uh, of professionalism. And you know, that I mean, now granted, some of these tournaments that we play, and we get to drink beer in the basement of the church uh, in between games or after after the games and whatnot. But uh, so you got that advantage. But um, <laughs> but you know, um, so there there are there are some pluses for that as well. But to be able to go play high level teams. Uh, at a at a an event that is so well done, um, playing like I said with with guys that that you really enjoy playing with, and then also making people uh, shake their heads like how did this team beat us? You know, like make a, make a guys like Von Wafer uh, look and react like, like he did in the press conference. You know, yeah, that's that's exciting. That's exciting to us. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, this is a guy in Wafer that you bring him up. He's averaging I think thirty four points a game over in China. You know, he's played in the yeah. NBA and. Yeah. Uh, really in the prime of his athleticism and Khan goes out you know on a, that Everline drive game and scores 38 points at the age of 39 um, right. was that a typical performance from him or was that sort of at another level from what you typically see from Khan it is a performance we're used to seeing it's not necessarily a performance we're used to seeing against that high level of competition um, he was in his own he moved he he stepped it up and and you know I said it a couple times already. If this tournament happened, uh, you know, ten years ago, we would expect to win the tournament. The team that I would bring would expect to win it. But we're all old now, so to be able to do that at 39, um, at 39, that's that's extra special against, like you said, guys that are in the prime of their athletic careers. Um, you know, some who are former NBA players, some are you know playing overseas or whatnot. Um, it's it's impressive. It's impressive, and and you know you see. Again, ten years ago, Con would have Con would have had three of those performances in a seven-game run to the championship. The, now he has one, he has a, a solid game, a killer game, and then an off game. Yeah, because right, he's thirty-nine. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to so. ask you because Con is more than just a teammate of yours. He's your brother-in-law as well. Right. And so, what was that like to sort of see him do that in front of his kids? I think his, all five of his sons were there to to actually see that happen. Yeah, he's got. Five boys that are really into it and, and excited about coming to coming to play, and Con too, his, his oldest was on the bench with us, and, um, and 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 then Sherry was there, and some other friends and family were there as well. Um, it's it's exciting to to be able to you know uh, compete with him and watch his watch his performance at, at that level uh, and see how how fun it is for the for the kids and and that kind of thing uh we've been playing together for a long time and and so i I see it all the time um but uh it's nice in a in a setting like that to have that kind of performance you know jeff i think you're a good guy to ask about this because having played overseas for as long as you did in as many different countries as you did 
it's interesting to me that a lot of people sort of at cons level of skill um, don't necessarily have a high profile forum in the U.S. after they finish with college. And in Khan's case, I think he attended a D3 school, right? Yeah, he went to Wisconsin Lutheran College um, in in, uh, in Milwaukee. Yeah. But in the meantime, you know, you've you, when you're playing, whether it's in Poland or Spain or France or or Italy, you know, I think you've probably got guys comparably skilled to him that are making a decent career out of playing professional basketball. Um, what what did you make of that? I mean, did you was that something that you missed uh, significantly? Was not after that first run with the uh, Bucks there, not playing back home? No. I didn't miss it. I mean, I, I would have loved to have been in the NBA for 10 years. That would have been awesome. Uh, great. Um, I really, really enjoyed my time overseas. Not only the the basketball side of things, but the experience of, of seeing the uh, great places that I had never been to before and 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 living within some of those spots that, that you know, in, 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 uh, engulfing yourself in the culture and all, all of that. Um, not to mention that it was it was you know, my, my career. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, a gig that I go, go hang out and do. It was my career. They paid well. And, and it was, it was great. Going back to what you're saying about Khan, Khan could have played professionally overseas. Certainly um, more difficult to get your foot in the door coming from a small division three college, but certainly there, there are, he was as good or better than many players that I played with or against. Um, Khan's, Khan's drawback is that he, is six four and not six six. He's um, he's an amazing shooter, but he's not quick. So there's it's just there there is different type of player. If he was if he was six six, he he probably would have been over there being a three man in in the same leagues that I was in. Um, but you know, part of it is that not getting noticed right off the bat uh, right off the bat hurts you. And then if you don't make the commitment to um, if you don't make the commitment to Take a thousand dollars a month here, and then twelve fifty a month there. The next stop to get to that spot, then then uh, then you choose to get, get go into the real world. And and I'm sure he's happy doing what he's doing now. Um, fortunately for some others, um, I was I was a draft pick, so I I had that going for me, and I and so I didn't have to go through the you know the bottom levels of Europe. Um, so I was I was playing for good teams. Uh, from the start, essentially, and and uh, it was it was a fun career. Would I have liked to play in the NBA for six, eight, ten years? Absolutely, absolutely. I recognize that I was a I was a fringe player to begin with. Um, there's I've said it before. There's hundreds of players overseas that I played against or with that are as good or better than me that have never had the opportunity to play in the NBA. I I was fortunate enough to play in the NBA um, for the ninety seven ninety eight season, and uh, um, I can always say I was, I was an NBA player. Was it nice to be back to do that in Wisconsin too, as well, having gone to college? Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was cool to do it. it and you know, for the for the Bucks, um, you know, I tell this story. Uh, um, well, a couple things that were positive about it. So I'm with the Bucks, and and our second or third to last um, preseason game was played at at Brown County Arena, which is the same place I played uh, my college ball at, at in Green Bay. So you know, some NBA teams they play some of their preseason games in some smaller areas, um, not their, not their home, home arena. Well, so we played there. Um, and I was a little bit concerned because the game before was in Minnesota and I'm from Minnesota originally. And I had a bunch of people from my hometown and I didn't get in for, for one minute. So I was like, Oh man, if I don't get in for a minute in green Bay, 
in front of 6,000 fans who essentially came here to watch me, then that that could be a real embarrassment. But uh, I got in the game. I made my first six shots, had had 13 points and whatever, six rebounds, four four assists, whatever. And essentially um, that made that game, um, along with performance and practice and whatever else, Earned me a spot on the on the roster. They cut a couple guys with with guaranteed contracts, and and uh, I I made the opening day roster with the Bucks. Um, so that that part of coming back to Green Bay was great. And another another related related uh, story is when we played the Indiana Pacers down in Milwaukee, um, and Larry Bird was a coach, and he he was my basketball idol growing up, and my favorite player lived and died by however the Celtics did, and um, I asked I asked our assistant coach, I go, what's the protocol? You know, can I go talk to the other team's coach before the game? I go, yeah, go talk to him. Talk. So I went up to Larry Bird and I said, hey, Coach Bird, and my name's Jeff Norgard. Just want to tell you, uh, I was a big fan uh, growing up, whatnot. And he goes, oh, thanks, I appreciate it. Um, uh, how do you like it here? And I go, well, it's, uh, they treat me like a like a one of their own, like a hometown player because I, I went to school in Green Bay. And he goes, yeah, I know, I know you went to Green Bay. I saw you play. You're a good player. And uh, we we chatted a little bit longer, but I, I I in my head I'm like, oh my gosh, Larry Bird knows who I am, and he said I'm a good player. Um, and I went over in the rest of the warmups and missed my next ten shots, um, and then got out into the game. And uh, one of probably my biggest highlight of my of my short NBA career, um, got in the game, was guarded by and guarded defended uh, Reggie Miller and Chris Mullen in that game, so two Hall of Famers, and. I uh, got the ball about 17 footer baseline in front of the front of the uh, Pacers bench, and as I was going up to shoot, I heard Larry Bird say, "Get out on him, he's a shooter." As I as I knocked in the 17 footer, <laughs> so that was that was my that was my biggest highlight. I'm interested. That's I mean, Larry Bird obviously is a reason why everybody loves Larry Bird. I think, but uh, growing right. up in Minnesota, was Mikhail a guy you looked up to too? Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, and then he went to the Celtics. So I was a. I was a Celtics fan from about 79, 80 when Bird got in there. There wasn't a team in, in Minnesota at the time. Timberwolves weren't there. Um, and, uh, you know, Lakers had gone to L.A. long before that. Um, and then so, you know, then watching the Gophers, Kevin McHale was, was a star. And then he went to the Celtics, and it was perfect. So I was I – mean, Larry Bird was my favorite player. Kevin McHale was my next favorite player. And and, and back in basketball camp, um, I, you know, I was – Dark hair, broad shoulders. Um, I, I looked kind of like Kevin McHale, and so some of the kids from other towns were like, "Hey, McHale! Hey, McHale! Give it to McHale!" You know, that kind of thing. So uh, that had that going for me too. Did you try to mimic the post-up moves that he had too? Oh yeah, yep. I uh, I worked that up and under move a lot in my career. Definitely, definitely jump hooks and up and unders and all the different things. He was he was a great great post mover uh, guy. In the um, you know he had. He, you know, until, until you could argue that when he retired, he was the best, he had the best moves in the post out of anybody. Akeem Olajuwon, you could put on there too. Um, since then, there might be some other guys you'd include, but uh, he was, he was special. When you, when you finished up there with the box, you ended up going overseas, I think for the rest of your career, essentially with, I think an exception of maybe a season that you came back to play in the ABA. Um, yep. but I'm wondering if you had a favorite stop uh, while you were there overseas. Right. Um, you know, it it sounds strange, but uh, probably my favorite was Warsaw, Poland. Um, we it was you know it's not a gorgeous city, it's not Barcelona or Rome or or Athens or something like that, but uh, um, 
it was a, a city where there was actually a lot of Americans. There's an American school there, so we got to be, have quite a few friends with Americans as well, not just my teammates. Um, so that that was a positive of it. Um, it's it's a pretty vibrant city. I mean, uh, it's a capital capital city, and it's it's it was growing at the time in in a more Western way. Uh, so it was great restaurants and and nightlife and that kind of thing, but also our team was very good. We didn't win we didn't win the championship, but we we finished third twice in a row, both times the the, the best that that club had ever done, uh, with a great group of guys. Um, and and it was just yeah, probably my my top experience experience overseas. And it seems um, it seems to have gone well enough that you actually were I assume you were approached to play on the Polish national team. Can you tell us about how that happened? Yep, sure. Um, so my first two years, uh, I was I played for a team called Anvil Wrocławic in, in Poland, um, and actually my my first year over there, um, my teammates were Ed O'Bannon and Matt Santangelo, who you guys might remember, Ed O'Bannon, '95 Player of the Year from UCLA, and Matt Santangelo was one of the first great players at Gonzaga that they had. Yep. Um, you know that that run, you know, not not John Stockton, but that run that they had in the '90s and into 2000s. Um, and so we had a, we had a really nice team. Um, we, didn't, we didn't uh, we didn't reach our goal that season, but we won the championship the next year with uh, with a few different players. Um, and that was that was actually a huge highlight because that town had been second place for the last four years, for the last five years, and and they threw us a parade. And and we they you thought they were going to build statues for each of us um, for winning for winning that thing. So that was that was pretty cool. But. Uh, um, after that season, I got a uh, Polish passport. Um, uh, Alexis, my wife, her grandmother was born and raised in Poland, uh, a Polish passport. And so the, the club helped me to get a Polish passport as well because of that relationship. Um, and partially, you know, partially to help the club so that I would be a domestic player as an American and also, also to, for the opportunity to possibly play on the national team. So, uh, got that, and and then uh, the coach for the national team was the coach that I just had previously had for for our championship with Wetzlawick, and we had a we had a nice a nice summer of European national qualifications. That's not European national qualifications, European championship qualifications. So the level before you would have to qualify for the Olympics. So Poland in general hasn't been a, a great basketball powerhouse, but. Um, this was the the level that you need to get to qualify for the European Championships, which can qualify you for the Olympics. Um, and uh, and it was a cool experience. It was a really cool experience to be a part of that part of that group. We played in Sweden and Estonia and and uh, Bulgaria uh, and in Poland, of course, too. And you know, be a part of a national team was was really cool. You know, it seems like from afar when you watch these national team events, whether it's in basketball or soccer or whatever, the um sort of international rivalry between those countries is sort of off the charts to me. It just is amazing. It's like I imagine something like similarly to, you know, like Yankees, Red Sox in baseball or Celtics, Lakers or something in in basketball. Right. Is that your experience? I mean, did Poland have a natural rival that they got really worked up about? Um, I I wouldn't say that they had one one specific national rival. Um, you know, the... the just trying to think if there was one that was a little bit because when we when we're playing you don't necessarily play against the closest teams to you for that as the qualifications were based on 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 pool 
we'll play so like I said, we played Sweden, we, and which isn't a rival. We played Bulgaria, which isn't a rival, and we played Estonia, which isn't necessarily a rival. The closest, the you know, the bordering countries are are Germany certainly, and and Lithuania, uh, Czech Republic. Um, but um, I don't know if there's there's that same national rivalry that you know, like uh, England France has, or, or or something like, or or uh, Greece Turkey or something like that. You had a little taste of the Greek thing in Olympiakos too, though. I mean, what was that experience like? Um, that was that was very interesting. Uh, Olympiakos is a super powerhouse that's been a that's been near the tops of European uh, levels for a long, long time. However, that year they were not. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a, it was an interesting situation because I started the season in Italy uh, for a team uh, that I was named the captain of. Uh, and I had a hand, and I got a hamstring injury, so I missed the first five weeks of of preseason and and maybe a game to start the season. Um, but then played played in in a handful of games, and then a sponsor a sponsor or two had bought, backed out, and so our payments were late, and and there was concerns about our our budget. And in the meantime, Olympiakos was was trying to bring in a an American. Um, uh, an American big man to replace their American three man, uh, and I was going to come in and be the be the three man. Um, and so they bought out my bought out my contract, and I went I went there. Well, in that in the meantime, things fell through on the American big man, and so they kept their American three man and kept me. Uh, so my role wasn't what it was expected to be, you know. Um, and, and, and in the meantime, they had been losing, they had been losing, and I got there and we lost four or five games. And essentially what happened after that is they cut everybody. <laughs> so I was only there for I was only there for five weeks. Um, uh, Athens is great. I love it. It's, it's an awesome city. But I was only there for five weeks, and then I went back to actually to Poland and Warsaw to finish out the rest of the season. How common, how common is it, from your experience, experiences like that where – a whole team gets cut or payments aren't made. Like I think you said was happening in Italy. That's a totally different, that's a totally different professional environment than what we have here. It seems like. Yes, it is. It is. And it's something for anybody that's planning to play overseas has to keep in mind, you know, there's, there's some of the countries, Germany, you're almost 100% certain that you're going to get paid if you have a contract. Some of the other countries, you know, it's, it's different. Um, Italy, you know, they, they, they plan to pay, but uh, some sponsors sell through, and so that there's there's times when we've had late payments, two weeks, three weeks late, and 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 you try to decide what to do. Do you do you strike? Do you not play, and then see what happens? But you want to keep playing, and um, for most of the times when there were issues, it, it worked out. Um, it worked out in the end, but there were there were some times where I was like, all right, it's time to move on. Uh, this team is not living up to their to their end of the end of the bargain. So you you have to be ready for that in, in some places that you go. And also take that into account when you're heading over there to begin with, recognizing that some some leagues and some some teams are more reputable than others. Did you have someone advising you on that about which leagues and which countries to look to? Yeah, agent. Uh, yeah, everybody for the most part that heads over there has an agent and, and a lot of the agencies have um, partnerships with agents within each country. So you also have that knowledge um from somebody with within the country itself um and so they can they can help decide you know i mean one one of my decisions was one year um to go to italy 
a place where I was familiar with, or try Poland, which I was unfamiliar with. And and you know, I was being offered fifty thousand more to go to Poland, but I was debating back and forth because I don't I wasn't sure if I was comfortable with with Poland. You know, just living there, that and also you know, more Eastern Europe. You you never know what to expect, and that's and and my agent at the time was suggesting the same thing that you know you have to be careful that fifty thousand dollars more doesn't necessarily mean fifty thousand dollars more um but i went i went to poland and and uh and it was a great decision because essentially i i spent most of my last eight years there and became a polish national player and and became a very popular well-known player there where um you know several time all-star and then then a player coach my last year so it was a great place for me a place where i could excel and succeed um and and uh, and have success with the teams that we had as well and and uh, and fit in you know it just occurred to me jeff were you there the same time that chris thomas from notre dame was there yep yep i know chris yeah that's yep we, yep we played against each other he was an anvil from slavic uh a couple of years after me two years after me and but you never played in the same team as him nope nope we didn't play in the same team no now, you mentioned that you did get into coaching is that something you're doing now too uh, if you call fourth grade and seventh grade youth basketball coaching, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, so it's, it's strange. My, my last year over there, um, I w- went over as a player and we lost our first four games and they fired the head coach. And what typically happens next is they fire the Americans. Um, and so I was, I was, or the highest paid players, whichever it might be. Um, and I went in for a meeting thinking I was going to be released. Uh, you know, this was essentially my last year last year playing um and and they said we'd like you to be the head coach um you, you can decide if you want to play and coach or just coach <laughs> they, they, let you, they like, left that choice up to you yeah yeah they weren't paying me any more money if i was doing both but <laughs> they, they let me decide if i was doing both. so i i i accepted i they said oh you have three hours to decide um <laughs> so i accepted i accepted the offer and um I wanted to play too because I felt that I knew I would change the system a little bit because I felt that I knew how I could be used uh, a little bit better to be more successful and that we needed to have a defensive philosophy and mindset and we didn't have one. Um, I found out pretty quickly that I wasn't very, wasn't very effective at either if I, as effective as I could be at, at either if I was doing both. So I didn't play myself very much. Um, but we had great success. We won ten of the first twelve games when I was coaching, um, including uh, you know the first five or six. One one was against a huge rivalry team that was four and zero at the time, and we were zero and four. And uh, and our starting center had had uh, had left to go to a different team when he found out that the coach was fired because he thought that that the new coach was going to be a uh, a uh, a crazy guy that was coming in. They there was talk, there was rumors about a crazy guy coming in the coach, and so he left. <laughs> Um, so I was, I, we were, we were shorthanded and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, playing against an undefeated team rival and, and we ended up winning that game. But so anyway, long and short of it is I, I coached that year that it was the best season that the team had ever had. I went to the playoffs and thought I was coming back the next year just to be the coach. And again, in another situation where their budget dropped in half and, and so my salary dropped in half and I said, no, I can't go over there for that. And at that time, it's really difficult. So this was, you know, late June, early July, when this decision was made. And at that time, it's quite difficult to try to get a, you know, a college assistant job or something like that. 
Uh, so, um, after, after a few months of trying to figure out if I was going to head back over somewhere else and play one more year or, or what, uh, I got a real job. <laughs> so now I, I work for a living and, uh, and coach my kids. And you're, you're, I think you said you're in sales now. Do you do broadcasting too, Jeff? I did. I did, um, for three years, I did, uh, color for, for GB's, um, home games, um, you know, three or four games each year, uh, for, for one of the local Time Warner cable whenever they'd have a game of the week. Um, but then last year, ESPN three was on, on GB a lot. So they had their own, their own guys doing that one. So I did not do it last year and I'm not doing any of it this year. And you you had a player coach role, I think that last year, and that's what your role was last year with the Scotty Legends too. Um, yeah, I'm, more or less. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like you maybe weren't playing yourself as much, and I was wondering if that was injury, was it illness? What was the? What was it the was it was it was I'm old and getting out of shape, and I need <laughs> need to be more prepared to get out there and help the guys. <laughs> um, you know, we 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 added a player, um, Stephen Baker, uh, who so we had nine there instead of eight or whatever it was the year before. I can't remember. So we had one more player who, who was very good. Young, young player was very good. Uh, um, not the same play, same style player as me, a little more dynamic, athletic going to the hole. Uh, you can, you can shoot it, but not, not, not like I could. Um, but it just, and then, and then the bigger part of it is it's not the offensive side. It's finding somebody that I can defend. You know, um, it, like I said, getting older and slower, it's it's more difficult. But my goal this year is to try to get myself into into better shape so that I can help the team if need be, need be a little bit more on the court because that's that's the most fun part of it. And um, but nonetheless, nonetheless, you know, there's not a lot of guys 43 out there playing. Um, so I, I guess I can. I guess I have to transition at some point. <laughs> well, hearing you say that, it does sound like you plan on coming back in 2016 along with the rest of the Scotty Legends, right? Yeah, that's that's the, that's the plan, definitely. Yeah, it's on our calendar already. That's great. All right, Jeff, I really appreciate your time. I know it's busy, uh, a busy time of year for you. And um, listen, I would love to touch base again sometime soon, and you know, get this get this thing rolling in 2016. Great, Dan. I appreciate it. You have a happy holidays, and and thanks for having me. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. All right, you bet, Dan. Bye-bye.